Okay, well, on that note, um, are we ready to start? Carla, are you ready? I am ready. Okay. Well, I'm glad to see so many people here, and sounds like it's going to be a great discussion already from all the comments I've heard just in the last couple seconds, but we're discussing, it's, this is Friday, the 20th of March of 2015, and we're in Novel Ideas, and we are discussing the book Girl in Translation by Jean Kwok, and Carla Hayes has recommended this book, and she will be hosting this discussion tonight, so I'm going to let up on the key and turn this over to Carla. Thank you, Carla, for doing this. Well, thank you for asking me. Uh, Can you all hear me? Yeah, you're coming through. Okay, what I'll do is I'll start the discussion by just giving a real quick um, synopsis of the book, and then I want to make a few opening comments about the linguistic implications of this book, being a linguist myself and language teacher. Sorry, Carla. Um, Before we get into the discussion of the book and... Um, I think it would be good if we reviewed the characters in case um, I know Bob read this book early on and I don't know about other people, but it might be helpful if um, you could review some of the characters as well. Just wanted to make that suggestion before you got too far. Sorry to cut you off like that. Okay, I will do that. Um, the book is, um, in case anybody's just tuning in and just to listen to this and hasn't read the book and might want to after this discussion, the book was DB73069, and it's called Girl in Translation. It's by Jean, J-E-A-N, Kwok, K-W-O-K. And it was approximately nine hours and nine minutes in length, and it was read by Elizabeth Rogers. And it's under the category of Growing Up and Family, and it was copywritten in 2010. And the main character is 11-year-old Ah Kim, A-H-K-I-M, and um, her American name became Kimberly Chang. So Kimberly and her widowed mother move into New York City before the 1997 Chinese takeover of their native Hong Kong. And they live in an an unheated apartment and work in Kimberly's aunt's Brooklyn sweatshop. And here I must mention the character of Kimberly's aunt Paula, who's sort of bossy and uh, brings them over and sponsors them, puts them to work in the factory, and um, and and part of the book turns out to be a conflict between Kimberly and her mother and Paula because um, I think Paula just sort of tries to hold them down and from progressing the way that that they should progress and holding them back. But anyhow, Kimberly's intelligence her, earns her a private school scholarship and hope for the future, okay? When Kimberly and her 
mother arrive in the United States, they speak little English and own nothing but debt. And Kim decides to use her talent for school to earn a place for herself and her mother in their adopted country. And she works in the sweatshop during evenings and weekends and is an, an exceptional student by day. And in time, Kimberly learns to translate not just her language, but herself back and forth between the two worlds when, uh, that she straddles. And uh, some of the other characters of note are a young man that she meets in the factory named Matt and his mother and Matt's brother, Park. And Matt and Kimberly do fall in love, and, and Matt is her boyfriend um, for a long time. And then um, he takes up with another, another girl named um, Vivian, and then they sort of drip a, drift apart. Um, but Kimberly never stops loving uh, Matt, and then, and, and then I don't want to spoil all of the book in case people haven't finished the book. But um, so there, there are those two characters, and then an, another boy that she meets named Kurt, and Kurt sort of influences her in, in a negative way in, in many ways because um, um, you know he, he's more of he's more of the influence of the wildlife, let's say. And then another um, good character to keep in mind is Kim's friend, Annette. So uh, those are the characters. You know what? I'm going to let, off, let up on this and see if anybody has anything else to say about the characters before I go on. And I do want to make some opening comments about what Kimberly's going through linguistically because I think that's a very important theme in this book. Well. Let me start again. I was one of the doubting Thomases. I wasn't going to read the book. I, I just didn't want another. I've read a few. Ruth Ann wants me to read the Joy Luck Club and all those. I'm sure they're good, okay? But I read a few of these books, okay? But this was outstanding. So I, I wonder if they're, if it's Gene Kwok's life. That's one thing that went through my mind. It was very, you know, very true. Pa, uh, the, the character probably I hated the most was Paula and Mr. Bogart. They're kind of close to each other, but... Aunt Paula really was awful, really bad. This is this was very common when foreigners, the, the first earlier generations came in, and the second generation came behind them from the old country. Sadly, they cheated them. They they didn't just take their hand and say, "Let me help you," you know. They cheated them. They said, "We're here first, and we're going to get you just like we were taken by the Americans when we got in here." But I thought Aunt Paula was my worst. And, of course, Ah Kim is wonderful. She, uh, she only had one flaw, in my opinion, but I'll wait till we get to the plot. Uh, I thought the character development was excellent. Um, and what else can I say? But be quiet and let other people say what they think about the characters. Did I put you guys to sleep? Well, I am sure that everyone just couldn't stand Paula because how do you bring people into an atmosphere where it is so cold and winter in New York City and not even allow them heat and put them into an apartment where they can't live because of the roaches and the filth. And But this woman, I think if we kind of dig a little deeper, we know that she was jealous of her younger sister 
friend that she was going to do anything to get at her and putting them in the sweatshop and and even having the sweatshop um, which many people have had through through the years um, but this woman was really oh you want to shoot her um, in addition to being jealous I also got the impression uh, that she was really in some way blaming um, I can't remember Kimberly's mother's name isn't that terrible but she was blaming her for a life that seemed really nice and seemed really affluent but that she didn't seem like a very happy person I also think that uh, Paula was very insecure with a new country, uh, although she married this wealthy man named, uh, I think his name was Bob, and, uh, you know, he just wasn't, or she wasn't, uh, to me she was just very insecure, even though she had the life that she had. I mean, and and look at her, her son was such a, uh, he was, you know, he didn't turn out well, and she, he, I think she was jealous of of Kim because um, her son, I forget his name, uh, wasn't achieving like Kim was. So uh, I don't think she was a very happy person, but I didn't like her either. And as Bob says, that is a very common pattern, the oppression um, of the foreigners who came in and worked the sweatshops has happened for, for, you know, for a long, long time in America. So um, before I go on to um, the linguistic theme, um, the translation theme in the book, is there anything that anybody else would like to say about the characters? I, as a couple other people said, I was prepared not to like this book either. And boy, it was just such a great read and... Um, I got the feeling that this was autobiographical in a, um, in a lot of ways because she was just, it was so authentic, everything that she talked about here. And if I didn't know any better, I would have thought this was taking place in the 1940s, not the 1980s. So it was just... Very good, very well written, and you could feel the bitter cold and the, you know, you could just see the apartment they lived in and the insecurities of Paula, and it was just a good book. I'm really intrigued about something. Uh, several of you um have said that you were prepared to dislike the book, uh, that you didn't expect to like the book. <laughs> I'm really curious as to, to why um, you had this impression before you read the book. Of course, I can tell you why I was going to be fascinated by it because um, my um, because of my line of work as a, as a teacher and translator of foreign languages and having gone through the, the process of learning several languages and been in and assimilated different cultures and prepared citizens for naturalization. So 
to me this was like a heaven but um so I, I i don't expect that everybody would have as much of a passion as i did but i'm curious why the expectation that um, that you weren't going to like the book i'll try carla i've been reading books lately about the old south about the nazis oppression the chinese books i've read and when i started reading this it, it was very quick i said this little girl's gonna make it okay okay you know and my right-wing friends always tell me well anyone can make it no this girl won my heart anyone can't make it she was a survivor and an incredible woman but i thought it was just one of those others and then the cultural thing you know um i have friends who have a, a little daughter who's vietnamese and american and they're having the cultural battle right now. The, the, the mother who's Vietnamese wants her to be Vietnamese. The father, I don't know if he cares, but the grandmother who's American cares. And so I, I just said, oh, not again. But I was dead wrong after the first half hour because I fell in love with Ah Kim. I thought she was absolutely courageous. Yeah, for me it was a lot of similar... Um, I just feel like I've been reading a lot of books about different cultures and different you know like bob said the nazis and um then how and just different books and the title was kind of a turnoff i know you can't judge a book by its title or its cover as they say and the the annotation when i looked at it just didn't give it justice, didn't do it justice to me, and I guess it's hard to put a lot out, but it's just, it was just a book that, if we hadn't decided to read it for this group, I would not have picked it up. Yeah, I I agree. If I would have just ran across the title, I would have said, "Mm -mm, I'm not going to read this. And I think with me, it wasn't so much, I, I think it was a, a cultural thing, and I, I, just, I, I just didn't expect it to move along as well as it did. I thought I was going to be bored to tears, actually. But, uh, oh, I was so wrong. Yeah, I just, I, I thought it was just going to be a boring book. I thought that it was going to be like one of those fiction, non-fiction books, you know what I mean, where sometimes they say they're fiction but they move like a history or something like that. That's that's why I was like, well, and the title wasn't. It that's what kind of got to me. But then it really fits the book. That title fits in so many ways. The title to me in itself became a double entendre, because um, lost in translation, if you take it in its literal sense. Um, Sometimes when you're translating um, a, a language, at least, uh, you can, uh, if, if you're not very skilled in that particular language, you can go through and translate things word for word for word and take words at literal meanings, or you can make the, the uh, mistake of stringing together words, just, um, just verb infinitives and and maybe wrong verbs, wrong adjectives, wrong nouns, and then all of a sudden what you want to say is, is totally lost in the translation. In fact, there are some websites for translators that, that I've been privy to, and sometimes um, they'll have humorous mistranslations of things that, uh, that happen because of misinterpretations of idioms. 
But in this case, the title Lost in Translation to me became a, a double meaning. When you followed Kimberly and you saw the development of her character, because at first she starts out as this ultra-academic, ultra-serious, um, Eastern-type um, academic overachiever, and then she gradually gets assimilated into the American culture, and um, she gets a little careless with Matt, let us say, and she does a little drugs, and she she gets... Um, it almost costs her in a lot of ways, um, and so the um, the Kim the Ah Kim that we saw at the beginning of the book certainly got lost in her translation into being an American to become the Kimberly, and the Kimberly was a very different person, a very different person from the Ah Kim at the beginning of the book. So. The original Ah Kim sort of did get lost in her translation into American culture. Maybe I'm reading too much into this, but that's what the symbolism suggested to me. Oh, that's really good, uh, Carla, the Ah Kim and the Kimberly. But I want to say this to you. Jeannie Kwok was realistic. Some kids do have to go through the parties at Kurt. And Kurt, we don't want to write him off. He grew up, too. He realized... You know, he's going to be a, a yuppie or hippie or whatever you call him. That's my trick. But he also, he had her go to his parties. He, uh, you know, she had to see some of that. Had she not, it wouldn't have been real to me. She would have been Miss Perfect. And she wasn't. She had to explore it. But her good cultural background, the things her mother taught her, that, this is what I learned from the book. The cultures, you, you don't take favors, the mother said, because we have to give them back. So when they say, let me pay for lunch or whatever, no, they had to go to the factory, true. But when uh, the, the, the realtor, and that's father, said, let me take you all to lunch for graduation. Well, they had to go, but she would have to pay back the mother. I mean, I learned a lot about the culture of the Chinese, uh, you know, here, and that was really helpful. I agree with you, Bob. I liked it because I also learned about the culture. And Kurt... He actually wasn't a bad guy. He, yes, he was a hor- <laughs> he was an interesting influence in her life. But really, I don't know. I like to kind of read into characters, and I think he really. I honestly think that he liked her. I think he respected her. Um, he could not understand her, and I think that's what fascinated him the most. And the way she acted, the way, no matter what she did, whether it was, you know, pot or whatever it was, her strong culture was there always. I mean, we can lose our identities sometimes with who and what we're doing. She didn't do that. And I think that's what Kurt respected the most. Yeah, very good. Yeah, we know right and wrong. We learn it from our parents, our families. You Sometimes, oh, I don't want to listen to my parents. But deep down, you know, what would mom say about this one or dad? Mm-hmm. At least that's the way we lived. I'm not perfect. I'm far from it. Mm-hmm. But when I was messing up, I'd say, what would they think about this? 
Yeah, and it was interesting that she and Kurt remained friends, and in the end, Kurt was the one she told. And it was... I wasn't surprised when she didn't marry Matt, even though he wanted her to. And... I wasn't surprised at all because, well, first of all, that would have been too predictable. And he wasn't ready. He wanted to stay in the Chinese culture and in the old ways and stay in Chinatown. She wanted to move on. She wanted to become an American, a Chinese American. And she wanted to be the the respected surgeon and live the life that she ended up living and she was smart enough and mature enough to see that it could never have worked with Matt. Yeah, I, I was uh, going to say the same thing that I think that if she had ended up with Matt, she would have been really held back and would not have been able to reach her potential. And I'm not even so sure that it was about becoming an American per se, but she in order to make the relationship work, she would have had to pull back on her potential. Um, getting back to the linguistics, uh, one of the most interesting things I found was how uh, periodically um, Jean Kwok would you know, interject words that were almost right but not quite or didn't make sense at all, and how that must have been how Akeem and, and many people who are coming here kind of understand the words but don't. That must be what their life is like, is when you're going along and you think you understand it, and they say something that makes no sense to you at all, and you can't figure out what you're supposed to do. Elizabeth Liberty. Right. I, I just want to add, and then I haven't, we haven't heard from a lot of people, and I'll back off. And I don't care if a person knows the end of the book. Carla's much nicer than I am. I figure if I could take time to read it, Joni can read it in nine hours. I hope it'll encourage you to read it and get your own ideas. But the one thing I didn't like, maybe because I'm a guy, is when she wouldn't tell Matt that he was the father. Because I know what you're thinking. Please. Matt will take him, her out of the boy out of his fantasy world. Rich doctor, mother. Matt will take him on motorcycle rides. He'll want to see his boy. Well, that's the way it is. And I think she should have told him. That's all. I totally agree with you, Bob. I, 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 that was the one thing that I did not like about in the book is that she never told me about Matt, and I think that a child has a right to know their father and vice versa. Yeah, I totally agree, and she didn't let him see the picture either when he came to her office, and I just I thought that was totally wrong what she did. I tend to agree there. Um, well, I just wanted just to make, this was supposed to be my opening remarks, but I would like to just make a couple of comments about what Kimberly was going through linguistically, um, because I've had experience with not only learning several languages, but teaching them and seeing what students go through learning English as a second language, ESL and, and naturalization. But um Students learning another language have several challenges that, that they will uh, encounter. And I'm only going to describe five of them briefly that pertained in this book. The, the number one challenge, or number one I would say in no particular order, is interpreting idioms literally. 
there was that incident that she didn't understand what was the birds and the bees. She would look up things about birds and bees, but she couldn't see how they were related. And that's a, that is an example of an idiomatic expression. In reverse, some of the Chinese ones was um, things like were um, small-hearted for humble, things like that. The second, uh, the second thing I'd like to mention is dialects. Now, most students, you might not know this, but most students learning English in another country are learning the King's English, the British English. And um, so some examples might be that a boot is a trunk of a car in, in British English. The lift is an elevator. But the equivalent for an eraser in several languages is rubber. <laughs> for example, goma in Spanish is a pencil eraser. And same with um, un gomme in French and gumi in German. And so you can see where the misinterpretation of when she said in her class and all the kids were laughing that she needed, she would like to have a rubber and the whole class laughs. Um, she was asking for an eraser. And these are daily challenges for these students. The third challenge I would say is a lot of times a language student will create his or her own words when, when you're in the learning process, you do this. Um, for an example of one of her words was teletale for tattletale. And one of my friends, Odile, who's um, French, and, um, and she was a, a, she's an English teacher in France, and one time she said when we were all together and she's visiting, instead of saying pork out, she said, let's all pig in. So uh, they'll create their own words or their own... Um, their own expressions for things. In fact, there's a linguistical term, which is analogical creation, um, where you apply rules of grammar to verbs that may not, uh, that, that may be a pattern, but may not be right. For example, a little boy hears his father say that he showed a picture and then he mowed the lawn, and all of a sudden he says, oh, wow, I've grown a lot, haven't I, Dad? That's an example. The fourth thing is listening and hearing um, difficulties in a foreign language whenever you're, you're listening. Um, this, uh, and um, Jean Kwok tries to create what Kimberly or Ah Kim was hearing when, uh, when quoting people. For example, incomplete and distorted words. For example, when Mr. Bogart said, today we're going to have a pop quick for pop quiz. That's what Kimberly heard. And if you notice, these distortions that Kimberly hears um, decrease and disappear finally at the end uh, as the book progresses, showing Kimberly's progression in her advancing skills in her foreign language, well, her language learning of English and how, how she learns to comprehend ling English. And then one more I'm going to add is the weariness that occurs when you're concentrating on a language which is not your native tongue. And I've, I've been through this many times myself. And um, as Kimberly herself says, the effort of listening was so hard in English that um, she was tired. Okay, so, so those are some of the challenges linguistically that, uh, that people go through. And I think Jean Kwok did an excellent job of capturing them. But what I'm going to do now is I think I've talked enough, but I'm going to let off, let up on the mic and let people talk. And it'd be nice to hear from people that haven't said anything yet. Well, I just want to ask you one question. I did have said stuff, but I, I pay my taxes. Immersion, as a linguistic teacher, do you support immersion or 
special ESL classes, and uh, certainly Mr. Bogart is not the master of immersion. He was a disgrace to the teaching profession. I think immersion can be very good in, in, in a lot of circumstances. It, it certainly forces you to learn. Now, some people can do it or not. Uh, that said, I would say that um, it's always good to have a few basics under your belt before you go into an immersion situation. In an ideal world, you would learn the basics of the grammar and some basic vocabulary first. And then when you go into the immersion, you're going to progress more quickly and with less frustration. And you're right. Mr. Bogart was a terrible example of a teacher. When she was accused of cheating on that test, that just broke my heart. But she proved everybody wrong. Um, I, I know that, you know, there were certain people that were in her corner. But, you know, she, when you think of that was such a, an ordeal for her, to prove that she did not cheat and she did so well on that test they didn't know what to think when she was finished. I think that demonstrated how um, people who are marginalized in general either by race or by ability or by nationality try to make or, or try to and that show success within the mainstream they first of all have to work much much harder that to get the same levels of success than do people who are part of that mainstream. But there's also, they also get viewed with suspicion or, you know, I'm sure everybody on this list can kind of relate to being the super blind because you were able to you know, get out of bed and feed yourself and get to work or get to school. I mean, that was not much of an achievement, but there are many people out there who, you know, kind of have a predisposed idea of what people can accomplish and when people kind of excel that they um, you know they, they either can't accept it or are baffled by it and, and I think I can uh, really had to constantly try much harder than everybody else and then when she did succeed was met with suspicion and distrust and you know you can't show us up kind of thing very quickly there's a movie called Stand and Deliver about Garfield High School in East L.A., in Southern California. And all those kids excel because of a great teacher, Mr. Jaime Escalante. And they smashed the Princeton Advanced Placement Test. And guess what? Because of the color of their skin, the testing center accused them of cheating. And they had to come back and take a test that was harder. And thank goodness, they did just about as well. They got the original scores in which they should have. But why, you know, must we assume that Ah Kim, you know, who had good paperwork or teacher, that science, that science department should be ashamed of themselves. And we do it because there's still prejudice that we must overcome in this country. Yeah, I saw that movie too. That was a great movie. And yeah, I thought that was terrible what they did to her. And, but she... And I know she she pulled it off, but really they should have been ashamed of themselves. They really should have. Part of that, though, was Tammy's fault. Because everybody knew she was that good, so they were trying to, they were trying to cheat. And Tammy really got her in trouble. That was really sad. And the only one who really stuck up for her was Kurt. Uh, that's the bullying factor too. You know, kids who come in from again 
a national difference or ability difference are frequently bullied, and that's one way that, that kids do bully them is they get them in trouble whenever they can. There ain't no one else. I want to say, Alila, you're right, but Tammy, yes, it was her fault, but am I correct that they challenged all of her, all of her grades in that science department? They didn't just say that one class you're going to take another test in front of the teacher, an oral exam. Maybe that would have been understood, maybe. Uh, but uh, they took on all the courses she took in science and had her give the oral. So, yeah, Tammy, Tammy was the acorn and a, a, a rotten oak, you know, came, came from it. And she, uh, mm-hmm. she made it at the end, thank goodness. Yeah, it was all the classes. It wasn't just that one because they made her take the test the next year when that incident should have been behind her and then they, they that one professor brought it up again and I just that was horrible Tammy wasn't part of, the, part of it the second time around again it was the fact that she got perfect scores on the, um, the exams that's you know in their minds she should not have been able to to exceed I it, the one teacher, and I can't remember who it was, it was, the, it was the dean, it was the head of the part that says, I was very smart and I never got those kinds of grades. So it was kind of, how can this little Chinese girl do better than I am? Well, I, the one thing that I kept thinking about when I read this book was that she, at, was it 11 when she came over, or 10, 11, uh, you know, she really was taking care of her mother at that point. I mean, and then in the end, she her mother is with her and, you know, is, is raising her, helping raise her child. But it just seemed like she had to become an adult so quickly. Um, I, I felt really bad that she never really, uh, had she not become, had to do, gotten into the drugs, but thank goodness she got out of that, that stage of her life and very quickly. Yeah, back to the drug thing for a second. I was really surprised that that uh, Jean Kwok would have her, uh, you know, experiment with drugs and so on. But that was part of, uh, you know, becoming Americanized, if you will, to some degree. Um, so I'm I'm glad. Well, <laughs> I was going to say I'm glad that happened to her, but I'm I'm not glad it happened. But I'm glad that Jean Kwok portrayed her as. You know, a teenager, you know, an American teenager in a way. But she did, as someone said earlier, hang on to her Chinese identity. Um, as far as, uh, now that, that, that's it. See where Alan is. We haven't heard his great insights in these books. I hope he doesn't have a mic. I mean, I hope he does have a mic. That's what I'm trying to say. We have MJH here. I don't know that person has a mic or who it is. Um. I'm thinking that um, it's too bad that a teacher didn't take more of an interest in trying to dig a little bit into what Kimberly did after school and find out about the sweatshop. Um, it, it just broke my heart to hear what these people had to go through with sweatshops. I, I've this is not new to me. I've read about them a great deal. Um, I know how, how terrible it was for her mother and and 
Kimberly to be in that kind of atmosphere. But why didn't a teacher take some interest? And I know um, certainly Annette tried to find out about her. Uh, Kimberly was very good at, at lying and keeping everything so hush-hush. But maybe social services should have come in to it and found out about Paul. Oh, I just could not stand that woman. And I kept thinking that Paula was charging them for debts they had incurred, but how did they know that she wasn't charging them more and more and more money? They didn't seem, you know, they just kind of stood by because they were so afraid of her. Um, but I just, oh, I just thought she was so horrible. Well, think of it this way, Joni. Most of the time when social services gets involved, it's because the child is either acting out or has really poor grades or something like that. Well, uh, Kim did not do that. She was an exceptional student. Therefore, they wouldn't know if anything was going on at home. They had no reason to believe there was. Also, um, it did say sh- they were paying debts with interest, and it also said that um, every payday or whatever, Uncle Bob would come limping out of the office, and he'd bring him back into the office, and he's like, I want to make this clear. I want to make sure that you understand what you're paying or whatever. So... I thought of that too because I was thinking, okay, what if you know, what if they're paying forever? But apparently, they did pay him off finally, which I was surprised. I thought they would charge him forever. I really did. I wanted to, to, I wanted to say about this whole business too that that whole, the, the uh, Aunt Paula or call whatever her name was was really after both uh, Akim and her mother. Uh, she was very, very angry when uh, uh, the girl went and applied for a scholarship and took tests and things. She, and she said, you aren't supposed to do that sort of thing. And was very angry and was not happy with her going off and getting grades and scholarships and going, you know, on to school. And was, you know, just, you know, she, and she was quite... I thought I'm unnecessarily angry about the whole situation. Yeah, and I would have thought that any teacher with any brains out there would see that her clothing, that she wore very poor clothing in the winter, that she came in the same shoes, that this little girl's really got issues. No, she didn't act up, you're right. That she was not liked on the campus. Everybody should have a friend like Annette, by the way. Annette did befriend her and try, and uh, and so forth. I know she was a good liar. Akim was ashamed. You know, she did. She felt that they'd have to repay the favors, and she didn't want people to find out about her house. But you notice something, but not at. I don't know the PS schools. We have our own problems in LA, but someone would notice the nurse, the school. Somebody picks up on it. We're we're instructed, of course. These and also the final thing of this segment. I'm going to say is that. Uh, I, I, I'm like Randy. I almost thought it was 1900 until, of course, they talked about 1997, Hong Kong, the whole bit. But the sweatshops, but I guess they're still around. They're really bad and uh, all this stuff. But I just can't believe she'd be allowed to come to school, 
you know, with no lunch half the time, no nothing, and uh, her clothing, you could see it was ill-fitting. Uh, somebody should have picked up on it, but Mr. Bogart wasn't going to pick up on it, or if he did, he didn't care. I, I would agree with that once she got to the private school, but if you remember, she went to a school where just about everybody else was as poor as she is, which is probably one of the reasons that Bogart was such a crappy teacher, is because he was just so beaten down by all the, the poverty and, and um, you know, lack of everything around there. Uh, I guess the one thing, <laughs> I really wanted Paula to either really have to pay for what she did, and in my opinion, she did not. I was really, really glad when they got away from her and that Akeem was the one that really told her off and that her mom supported her in that. Um, and if she, and I also wanted to see some genuine um, uh, repentance from Paula, but I didn't see that either. So I think kind of, you know, Paula kind of got away with it um, and just, you know, was left to deal with her own lack of person. <laughs> I mean, that was all about jealousy. You know, her son wasn't as good as Akeem, and her life, you know, she was stuck in this, I mean, she was stuck at the sweatshop all the time, too. You know. uh, I don't know. I, I just really wanted to see a little bit more of a comeuppance for Paula. Hi, everybody. Sorry, I, I got a phone call right before the thing started, so that's why I was signed in, but, uh, if anybody asked me then why I wasn't answering because I was on a phone call, uh, I really liked the book. It, it was it was a it was a very good read. Uh, uh, I think I disliked uh, Aunt Paula as much as everybody else did. With uh, with relatives like uh, Aunt Paula uh, who needs enemies and stuff, she was she was the worst. And I, I wish she had gotten uh, uh, more of a comeuppance too than than because uh, uh, I really did not like her. Uh, uh, the story was good. I, I, yeah, I thought it kind of ran. Well, it kind of ran out of steam toward the end, I guess. But I guess when you do a, a big time jump like that, there's really n not anything else that you could do with it. But uh, it was it was a very enjoyable story and, and uh, uh, not one that I would have normally read. So uh, thanks for recommending it, Carla. And uh, sorry I was late getting here. I have a question for you guys. I'll tell you my answer. Did you think she had the abortion? I did. So when she said my boy came out or whatever, I was I was I was shocked because I really thought she went through with it. Yes, I did because I thought she was so goal oriented to become a doctor or go to school that she would be sad. But I thought she was going to have it and no. And it, it, I know some will say that's predictable. It's contrived. Well, they fooled me, but, you know, what am I? I'm just a, a fan of these authors. I'm not a, a, you know, critic or expert. But they fooled me, Ruth Ann. Did they fool you, or did you know that she wouldn't? I Hello? think oh. I didn't know. You, I, you I, weren't sure? I, no, she's wanting to know if you thought she had the I abortion. I did. Did you think she did? What's going to have the abortion? No, that she had it. And, oh, wow. Well, I don't she know. didn't have it, huh? No, I know she didn't. Okay, anyway, I'm sorry. I'm trying to get you this. I... I wasn't sure if she did or not. I I didn't think she would go through with the abortion. And when she was in there, it didn't... Um, it just wasn't real clear. But I, I didn't think she would go through with it. And then I thought, well, 
Maybe she did, and but then I was a little surprised. I I wasn't all that surprised when um, it turned out she didn't. But I guess I did think that she had, but I was surprised that she even went to the clinic. Well, I thought she had it, and I was just I was so happy when. We learned that she didn't. But I, going back to those who, you know, I, I do think that Matt should have been told. I, he had a, he had every right to know um, that he was the father of that baby. Absolutely. I totally agree. Matt should have, Matt should have been told. No doubt about it. And the, the best way to have begun the whole thing would have been for her to show um, Matt the picture. Um of the baby. But anyway, I didn't think she would have an abortion because of her ethics, um, the fact that uh, she was going to be studying to be a doctor. Um, I was not at all surprised, you know, when, uh, you know, when, when the, the little boy, you know, made an appearance. So uh, I would have been very surprised if she would have had an abortion. You know, oddly enough, I was surprised that she did not, um, because if you'll remember, she came from China, and abortion in China is pretty routine. It's not considered um, with the same level of gravity that it is here. Um, and with the, the, the poverty that the family was facing and her studies, I really did think she would get the abortion. Um, so I was surprised that she didn't. Um, and I... You know, yes, Matt should have been told, but I, but I can see Kim's dilemma, too. I was, I'm sure she didn't tell him because she was afraid that in order to save face and to save family, she would come back to marry him, and he would insist on it, and she would see that as another trap. So, you know, she was facing a really difficult decision, but ultimately, yeah, I was surprised that she did not have an abortion. I had originally thought that... Uh, uh her character wouldn't be one to get an abortion, but I think the author deliberately misled us because she wrote it to make us think that, you know, because she skipped all those years and all of a sudden you find out she's his doctor and stuff and you're thinking, oh, well, yeah, she must have given up the baby and stuff. So, uh, uh, so I, I was, uh, I was kind of surprised when, when he showed up. I, I was glad that she, she was able to, 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 both have raised her son, you know, with her mother's help, and and also go on to become a doctor and stuff. But the, I think that the the author deliberately mis, misled us there. So uh, uh, all, the author's in their tricks and stuff. So uh, yeah, yeah, she tricked me. That's a good point, uh, Alan. I want to defend, uh, not defend, but talk more about Matt. And I wonder if the refusal to let her son know his father and know about the, the past life she went through is a denial? Is it, I'm, I'm never going to go back there, but what, isn't the great thing about Ah Kim is that she survived it, that through perseverance she survived, and that Matt in his own way is, is what was he, a UPS driver or something? And he reared his family, and he survived it. And I, I, I wonder if it was denial of her, of her past life as a Chinese girl. Uh, it may be extreme, but there has to be a reason for not letting Matt know that he had a son. It's interesting you bring that up, Bob. I like to, um, when books end like this, 
I kind of like to add my... I think, honestly, there could have been a sequel. And I could see... Because realize, he has one kid, and he's got one on the way. So couldn't you see them all going to school together? And meeting or something, or meeting on the street or something? Wouldn't that be interesting? Well, I think that she didn't tell Matt, because as someone else had said, she was afraid that he was going to put a lot of pressure on her to just marry him, we'll have the baby, we'll have more babies, you'll stay home and be a good Chinese wife, and this was not what she wanted. She did not want, and he he was always saying that to her. Why should we move from Chinatown? Why do we have to go any other place? We'll just, just raise a family, and I don't think he would have let her pursue her education. It, you know, he probably thought that it would... Um, it was not something that was what really uh, was something that should not be done, that she should be a traditional wife and mother and stay home all the time. And yes, they were in love with each other. They may have been happy for a little while, but I don't think they would have remained happy. But Joni, I, I respect your opinion, but he was married to Vivian. Vivian was going to stay in Chinatown where he was, and the the children, uh, he, he had a kid on the way, right? He had one, and then a kid on the way, and um, she would never marry him. I, th- I think he figured that out. You know, she walked away, and he walked away, and they looked out the apartment window, and it's over. He said, I'm going to stay with my wife, you know, because I have a family here. And yes, he would have probably taught Matt about Chinatown, the culture, taught to What's his, the boy's name? I don't remember now. Uh, about the, the, the her kid. Uh, about Chinatown. And what's wrong with that? A little bit. Now, I don't see them going to the same school, no. Not PS64 with Mr. Bogart. And they all meet. No, I, I, I can't. That's a stretch for me. But maybe you guys could read, <laughs> add it in the sequel. That they meet at, at a rich school somehow. That could have been. But uh, someday he's going to find out. I'm reading the Clifton Chronicles and... You can't keep a secret forever. Well, Matt didn't have a whole lot of good role models. I mean, his mom did the best that she could with him and his brother. And we haven't talked about his brother either. Um, and uh, he, you know, he, I, his father was his father was terrible. I mean, so it's amazing uh, that, you know, he... Did he he got his priorities straight, and it's no thanks to the way he was brought up. Yeah, he really. You're right. He really didn't have a lot of role models, and he didn't have any. His mother did what she could, but um, no, I I can't see the kids ever meeting, and because Kim was now in. She was much better off, far from that life. And Jason, her son, probably 
goes to a private school and wants for nothing and no i i this is one book i don't think i could see a sequel to and i'm kind of glad in a way that it didn't end with her telling jason about his father because that would have just Jason was 12 by then, and you would have had the teenage angst and all the predictability, all the stuff that usually comes out when kids find out who their real fathers are and vice versa. And <clears throat> I just, this was one book I just couldn't see a sequel to. Um, I think I agree with most of what everybody else has said that the kids probably would have met you know, for one thing. Uh, and Jason was six years older than Matt's kids, so. You know, he, they would never have been in the same class or the same, even the same stage of schooling and different neighborhoods and stuff. Um, I don't know. It, it's a hard question. I, I think, that, again, it all boils down to a child has a right to know his father and a father has a right to know his son. Um, and I think that Kim and Matt, I mean, Matt was happy with Valerie. and I think that they could have worked it out um, to share, you know, to share awareness of each other. Um, so I, I think that that will always be a disappointment. And no, I don't think there's a sequel to this book, you know, that really to be written. Um, I am reading her second book, Jean Clark's second book called Mambo in Chinatown, which is, is kind of turning out to be a little interesting, too. One thing, uh, Bob, you mentioned that Ruthann wanted you to read the Joy Luck, the Joy Luck Club. Well, I think you should read it. It really... Um, when it came out, I think it was the longest talking book ever made. And um, maybe it... Well, I remember I just loved that book. Maybe it's more a book for women. But um, it was so, so good, Bob. I think, I think that you should read it. Give it a chance. It is long, though. Yeah, when I have about a year, I'll do it. And my island. Thank you, though, Joni. Okay, what does Carla say on this all this stuff? We haven't heard from our great hostess. Well, I'm I'm really enjoying hearing what all of you are saying about the book, um, uh, and I'm I'm really glad that you turned out to like it. I love this book. I guess I could have done without some of the sex and stuff again, but I guess um, some of that. It was interesting to see how the Akim. Was it by she? Lost you, Carla. Is everybody breaking?